Thank you for that song. I'm glad we can talk about heaven, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And uh, let's stand together as we read these first five verses, 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 1. Paul writes, For we know. I'm glad for a preacher who knows something and will say what he knows. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. In these verses, Paul, he starts out declaring he knows something. And it's because of the confidence in what God's Word states and he's referring to this body, this tabernacle, this shell that he's living in. If this tabernacle, this tent were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands. Verse 1, eternal in the heavens. And then he begins to talk about what he said in other places. I long to be with him. I long to go. And if this happens, he begins to talk about the fact that not being clothed or being found naked. In other words, this body isn't going to join me the moment I take my last breath. And so for that reason tonight, I want us to look at this thought in our journey through the series of heaven. What about this intermediate state? What happens the very moment we take our last breath? What is the intermediate state of God's children between our last breath here and eternity in heaven. Let's talk about it, shall we? Thank you. Please be seated. Maybe you've wondered. I have. Maybe I'm unusual in this, but I do ask myself questions like, why should we do a study on heaven? Is it just to be encouraging? Is it just to talk about some things that may touch our emotions. I say that we should study about heaven while living on earth. Because did you know that heaven is mentioned more than 500 times in scripture? Being a prominent teaching in the Bible, I think heaven ought to also be prominent in our hearts and in our thoughts. God has placed within our hearts a hunger for eternity, a hunger for heaven. And if we do not understand that and we do not feed that hunger with spiritual truth of the Word of God, we will end up trying to satisfy that hunger with vain, cheap substitutes that will leave us empty and without satisfaction. You ever think about the songs that we sing about heaven? How many of those songs are incorrect? I've been at many a funeral where they've sung about crossing over Jordan's chilly waters. And they're talking about entering heaven. Crossing Jordan 
in the book of Joshua did not have to do with going to heaven. There are no giants to fight in heaven. Yeah, there, there's, there's no battles in heaven. There were battles when they crossed the Jordan. Jordan is crossing over into the so much more that God has in store now. It's about the victorious Christian life. It's about victory in Jesus. It's unfortunate we get more of our theology from a hymn book than from God's book. Can I mention another song? Shall I do that? Is it going to make you upset? Beulah Land. Everybody wants to sing Beulah Land at a funeral. I'm kind of homesick for a country. You know what Beulah Land is? In fact, our hymnal, I don't know if our hymnal has it, but hymnals that have the song Dwelling in Beulah Land. If you ever look at those two songs, they're in contradiction to each other. You know what Beulah means in the Bible? It's the place of victory. Victory in Jesus. Not when you get to heaven, but now. The abundant life that God has given. I just made some of you upset about Beulah Land. You can't get that off of you. Go with the hymnal version, Dwelling in Beulah Land. Get there. When someone sings, I long to go to Beulah, get there. Get to the victorious life. What are you waiting on? Get up and get right with God. Um, well, it doesn't quite fit the timing and measure of that music to say it that way, but that's really what it is. And we're not going to sell any copies of this one, I can tell, but... I'm saying we ought to at least consider the Word of God to have greater authority than the hymnal. The truth is we can never approximate all that God has prepared for us in our heavenly home. We can never fully understand. But when we choose to focus on and prepare for our eternal home that awaits us, our earthly focus is shifted toward living a life that honors God and leads others to Him. Instead of looking at this matter of, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. I can't wait till Jesus comes. We're just holding on and hoping for His soon return. We shift our focus to understand standing we focus on him but we face the task at hand Jesus didn't give the idea that when he came to this earth he's just holding on till he can get back to heaven he's just gritting his teeth no he came he humbled himself and with the joy that was set before him he endured the cross but he despised the shame but he did this with the joy of the Lord because he was doing the will of his father and there was a great goal and seeing the salvation of the lost. We don't have to just hold on, grit our teeth. No, when we look at eternity in the proper perspective, we recognize we've got much to do. Yes, we want to be with him, as Paul says, but we also want to be about his business until he comes. There's no holding, there's no defeat. There's no room for being on the defense. The Lord Jesus said, this is his church upon this rock. I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail. We're not on the defense. We're on the offense. We have every reason to be optimistic. Now, we talk about heaven. There are three different heavens that are referenced in the Bible. The first heaven describes the atmosphere surrounding the earth. It's where the clouds and the birds would exist. We find this 
in Isaiah 55, verses 9 through 10. Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. It's just the, the immediate atmosphere. The second heaven that is spoken of, you'll find in Genesis 1, verses 14 through 17, is that heavenly body. The sun, moon, stars, planets, galaxies. But then what we're talking about is that third heaven. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 2 when he was called up into the third heaven. He said, I can't talk much about it. And this is beyond the first and second levels of heaven. It's a dwelling place of God where one day we will join Christ. But we're looking at tonight then that intermediate state, that time between death and the resurrection. Now, some have held that during this time we're unconscious, possibly even out of existence, but we don't think that that's a Bible position. I mentioned, I think, last week bodies that would hold to that, but the Bible has too much evidence otherwise. The biblical evidence that our soul continues on after death is, is uh, plenteous, that we remain conscious in the intermediate state while awaiting our final destiny of resurrected bodies in the new heavens and new earth, it's replete throughout. And so let's look at a few things about this. Question, do our souls sleep until the resurrection at the rapture? And we've already stated, no, we, we, we don't. There's not a, a soul sleep. When a believer dies, his body goes into the grave. And the believer goes to sleep in the sense of falling asleep. And that's just a term that references a believer's death. It's a soft term. Remember the Bible, and God uses many times terminology that would be familiar to us. And so, for instance, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13, the verse perhaps already has come to your mind. Paul says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. He's not talking about those that are letting their eyelids grow heavy during the service. He's talking about those that have passed from this life. He was describing the death of God's people. It's a beautiful image of what happens to a believer's body when they die. Their bodies go to sleep awaiting the resurrection. It's a New Testament word, koimao, and it simply, the root idea is to lie down. It's also used to describe someone who slept for a night in their journey. It's a beautiful image, again, of what happens to believers' bodies when they die. Their bodies go to sleep while their souls, their spirits are with the Lord in heaven. New Testament passages regarding this intermediate state. Let me mention these to you in Philippians 1, verse 23. Paul spoke of having a desire to depart and be with Christ. He says, for I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, far better. Notice, first of all, that Paul speaks of death as a departure from the body. Not into temporary nothingness of unconsciousness, but rather the moment a believer takes their last breath, they're immediately with Christ. If we're with Christ once we have died, then we continue existing. 
And then notice Paul speaks of this state as very much a better place, far better than the present state. It'd be hard to say that it's far better if it's a complete unconsciousness because knowing Christ, experiencing Christ now would be better than not experiencing Him at all. But when he says it's far better once I leave this life, it has to be something that is alive, living, and real. Notice another verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we read verses 1 through 5, but verses 6 through 8. Paul says, therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So it's significant that he speaks of the possibility of being absent from the body. This implies that we have souls that continue to exist long after and immediately after the body goes to sleep and dies. And notice again that he speaks of this state as what he prefers. Remember he said it over in Philippians 1 and verse 23. He says it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I kind of prefer leaving this life for the next. He indicates that, that we not only continue existing between death and the resurrection, but that we are aware of our existence. So it's not that we just go into this limbo and then one day when the resurrection happens and all those who are dead in Christ rise first, then we which are alive and remain are caught up with him. Then we come to an awareness. No, the moment you, you take your last breath here, you breathe that celestial air and you're experiencing in the very presence of God an awareness and reality that's actually probably more real than being here. Let me mention another proof of this, that there is in this intermediate state, there's, there's consciousness, there's living, there's life. And the, the thief on the cross, he's been used to prove about every point in Christian theology. And I think he's relevant here. Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses, New World Translation, they will punctuate that Jesus' words as this. Truly I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Now, what they're doing is they're giving the impression that today refers simply to the time that Jesus made the statement. But in context... I believe it demands that today refers to when the thief on the cross would be with Jesus in paradise because Jesus responds to his request in the previous verse. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And what was Jesus' response? Today. Today it's going to happen. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. And so somebody asked, well, what is paradise? Is that a different place? I don't think so. I still think it's heaven. And I hope to be able to explain that here in just a moment. And there is no purgatory, by the way. 
thought I would do a message on purgatory. Then I thought, well, let me shrink it down to a point. And in fact, we don't even have to have a point because there's no place in all the Bible that speaks of a purgatory. And so we set that one to ease. Jesus responds, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it can only in its context be taken to mean, not only will I remember you when I come in my kingdom, but already today you will be with me in heaven. It's not going to have to be this period of time. And then one day I'm going to come get you. No, it's immediately upon taking that last breath. Let me give you a fourth passage. Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 9. Revelation 6 and verse number 9. Um, let, me, let me turn there. You have that, Brother Cherry. Revelation 6 and verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, John says, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Notice the phrase, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. These individuals are not in a state of soul sleep. These are individuals that suffered persecution, martyrdom, but they're not in a state of soul sleep because in the next verse they cry this, How long, O Lord? In other words, there's, there's life immediately when leaving this life, that eternal life, and we are not in a state of limbo. Why don't you see a second thought tonight? Is there an immediate heaven? Now, many writers, I can take 12 commentaries, 12 preachers, 12 different sermons, and I can get about half. Half of them will say, when you leave this life as a believer, you go to an intermediate heaven. And some would refer to that as paradise, and some of them refer to it just as intermediate heaven. But I believe this, and going through this, and I, I flip back and forth on this, and, and, um, but I, I'm going with what we see through the Bible, and where I, I feel that would be the safest to land is that there is not an intermediate heaven, but there is an intermediate state. See, there's a point in time when you leave this life that you're going to be without your body. Until the resurrection occurs. When that resurrection occurs, then the body will be resurrected first. And those who are alive and remain in Christ, they'll be raptured. But until then, we're going to be, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we're not going to have our tent. We're not going to have our tabernacle. But the real us is not the ugly tent. Aren't you thankful for that? The real you is your soul and spirit, and that'll forever be with the Lord. And so we're, we're thankful that there is never a time when we take our last breath that we won't be with the Lord. But there is a point in time where we're in this intermediate state until the resurrection occurs and we receive the new bodies. But what about the intermediate heaven? Again, I believe the Bible teaches that every believer who died before Christ... Every believer who died before Christ ascended back to heaven, they went to an intermediate heaven called paradise or Abraham's bosom in Luke chapter 16, verse number 22. But when Jesus ascended after his death, 
He went into paradise or Abraham's bosom and took all who were there, all those Old Testament saints, all who had died and believed in God before Jesus went back to heaven with him to that third heaven. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 8 through 10 where he went and set the captives free. This means that believers no longer, since Jesus went back and ascended back into heaven, Every believer who passes from this life, they go to be with the Lord immediately in the presence of the Lord. The souls and spirits of today's believers go immediately to the third heaven because paradise is no longer an intermediate place. Paradise is now with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4, I believe give us some more elaboration. Let me give you some practical thoughts here. Just about heaven. Matthew chapter 6, remember Jesus said to his disciples, pray after this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven. And this manner of praying is teaching us as Christ's disciples, believers, disciples, to pray, Father, thank you for heaven. The hope the anticipation of heaven. It's teaching us to say thank you that you are in heaven. Thank you for your promise that we shall be where you are. Remember Jesus' prayer in John 17 that we would be with him. Remember his promise in John 14 that when he goes, he'll return and receive us unto himself. We ought to be thankful for heaven. We ought to be thankful that he's in heaven. We ought to be thankful that we'll be able to spend an eternity with him in heaven. But another thought about this, our Father which art in heaven, it reminds me that believers must direct our prayers toward heaven. Now, where's heaven? Many times we say it's up. And it may not be necessarily geographically because the people on the other side of the world up will be going down. But for us leaving this earth, it's above us. It's above beyond where any man could ever venture on his own. We'll never be able to build the Tower of Babel to get to God. We'll never be able to build a rocket ship to get to him. But we do recognize our Father which art in heaven. We're directing our prayers to the one that no man can touch. No man can control. No one can circumvent, undermine, overthrow our God. He's the God of gods. He's the King of kings. God's on his throne in heaven. I love Psalm 103 verse 19. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. How should we approach God? Our Father which art in heaven. By using the word Father, it tells us that we can approach Him boldly. You can have access right to Him. You say, you don't know how bad I am. Let me ask you, do you know Him? Does He know you? Are you His child? I'm not asking if you're a church member. You can be a church member 
and be outside the family. But if you're a child of God, you've come to Jesus, you recognize sin was your problem, hell was the consequence, Jesus was the answer. There was a time you said, I don't want my sin, I want Jesus. And you placed your faith and trust dependence upon him. The Bible teaches you became a part of his child. And because of being his child, you can have boldness, not because of who you are, not because of what we have done. Nothing in my hand I cling, simply Simply to the cross, I nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross, I cling. It's not because of who we are. It's not because of what we've done. We can be bold because He's my Father. Amen. Whenever I would have meeting, we'd have a makeshift taped on the door, do not disturb meeting in progress, and just put on the door of the office there. And uh, a year or so ago, um, Gretchen was coming over and the kids just walked right in and, and I think it was Brother Cherry pointed to Gretchen. She was about to come in, pointed to the sign. It says, meeting in progress, do not disturb. And Gretchen looked at Brother Cherry and said, I can't read and walked right in anyway. <laughs> That's boldness. <laughs> Our Father, we should have boldness to come to Him. And then he says, our Father which art in heaven. You know what that tells us? That tells us, however, we can come to him respectfully, in reverence, in fear. See, our true citizenship is in heaven. God is there. Lord Jesus is there. Therefore, longing for heaven, that's just the maturity of wanting his presence wanting nothing between our soul and the Savior at the purest degree. Luke 10 and verse 20, Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. John 14 and verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Colossians 1 and verse 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Hebrews 11 and verse 10, for he, that is Abraham, looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You've heard this, I'm sure, but let me close with this. When I picture heaven, and it's quite often that I do, I may not think of the things that seem most to you, like walls of jasper or gates of pearl so beautiful to behold, or mansions standing everywhere on solid streets of gold. For these aren't the only things that fill my heart with bliss, because I've never had enough of those things to get me spoiled, I guess. Our human minds cannot comprehend the beauty there is to see, but this, my friend, is what heaven really means to me. It's a place where all night will have vanished away and the ages of time will be just one long day. The weather will be perfect and the food will be fine. We won't ever have to hurry because there will be no time. And when we get up there, why, we won't even ever cry because there's no bills to pay or nothing to buy. There will be no more sorrow or not one bit of sin and the sting of death will never be felt again. And another thing that will make heaven so fair, 
My mom and dad will both be there. And looking so fair and young, I see, they'll not be old and wrinkled like they used to be. I'll kiss mom and she'll whisper in my ear, we've been waiting for you, son, and we're so glad you're here. Dad will say, son, there's no more fear. We'll sit down and talk for maybe a hundred years. And just imagine, if you can, getting to meet all the old saints and shake their hands, listening to the stories of the things they've done. Maybe get to live right next door to old James or John. Oh, it's going to be wonderful when we make it through to that beautiful place He's prepared for me and you. But all that I've mentioned won't even compare to the greatest thrill that awaits us when we get there. And that's to see Jesus, the one who died for you and me, and to live in His presence throughout all eternity. We'll sing forever without a trouble or a care. That's what heaven means to me. And I hope to meet you there. Let's stand together, please.